following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from LifePoint Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. Romans chapter 8 this morning, and our text is verses 5 through 9, uh, where we'll be this morning of Romans 8 chapter 5, or verses 5 through 9. Um, Before we get to that, last week I mentioned that Romans 8 is probably my favorite chapter in all of Scripture. I I love this chapter, Uh, but one of my other favorite sections of Scripture is John 14 through 17. It's an incredible section of Scripture, and it's incredible especially considering the context. So it was the the disciples' last night with Jesus before His arrest. And they don't know what is about to happen. In fact, they're pretty clueless about what is about to happen in Jesus' life. Uh, but, but they know the tensions are very high in Jerusalem. You know, Thomas mentions before they go down, let's go with him and die. So, so they know there are serious uh, issues at stake, and, and, and they know that it's a scary time. And so John 13 records the Last Supper, which we just celebrated. And then John 18 records Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in between, uh, either still in the upper room or potentially on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus gives His last instructions to His disciple before their world gets absolutely rocked by the arrest and the crucifixion of Christ. And imagine how it must have hit the disciples To hear Jesus say to them in that night on that occasion that He is going away. And they're thinking, what's going to happen? Is He going to die? Is He just going to bail on us? Is He going to run off and leave us here, leave us to drive? Jesus was everything to these men. They loved Him. They had dedicated their lives to Jesus. And they had put all of their hopes in Jesus' messianic claims. And therefore, they cannot imagine life without Jesus by their side. And so, His departure is going to leave a massive hole. And so, how does Jesus prepare His disciples for that massive hole in their lives? What will fill the Jesus-sized hole after He is gone? And the answer He gives the answer to having Jesus by their side is the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. In fact, Jesus goes so far as to say that they will be better off with the Holy Spirit than they will with Jesus by their side. He says in John, um, get this thing on, John 16, uh, verse 7, he says to them, he says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. I brought that up last week. Isn't that an incredible verse? That that it is to the disciples' advantage that Jesus leave because having the Holy Spirit in your heart is better than having Jesus standing next to you. Now, I doubt that the disciples were immediately convinced that that was true. And maybe you're not convinced of it either. But Jesus says that the Holy Spirit in your heart 
is better than the physical presence of Jesus. He is a marvelous blessing. So why is that? What difference does the Holy Spirit make in a Christian's life? Well, today's passage answers that for us. It says in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 9, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. This passage is a contrast between life in the flesh and life in the Spirit. And every verse describes the radical difference between the two. And in particular, Paul describes three radical changes that the Holy Spirit produces in those who belong to God. So so first of all, he says in verse 5 that the Holy Spirit creates a different disposition. Now, now before we go any further with this, I do want to be very clear about an important issue with this passage, and that is that the contrast in this passage between those who are in the flesh and those who are in the Spirit is a contrast between Christians who are indwelt by the Spirit of God and unbelievers who are not. Now, now, now I bring that up because, because there's, there, that, that might not immediately jump out. And so, so notice the language that Paul uses throughout the passage. All right, so verse 5 mentions those who are according to the flesh and those who are according to the Spirit. Verse 6 mentions the mindset on the flesh and the mindset on the Spirit. And verse 9 says, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, now I know for myself, when I first began to say this passage uh, a number of years ago, and, and maybe for you as well, when you hear those kinds of statements, you, you might immediately think of a couple of more familiar verses in the New Testament. So, for example, Ephesians 5, 18 says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And then Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now, those are important verses, all right? And both of those verses give commands to people who are already saved, right? So, So Paul is talking to Christians, and he commands them to be filled with the Spirit and to walk by the Spirit. So, so a believer can be full of the Spirit or not full of the Spirit. He can walk according to the flesh or he can walk according to the Spirit. So neither is automatic for every genuine Christian. So the choice in those two verses is between being a healthy Christian and an unhealthy one. But despite the similar language in our passage, Romans 8 is not contrasting a healthy Christian with an unhealthy one. It is contrasting a believer, someone who is saved, with someone who is not. And verse 9 is very clear about that fact. All right, look again at what he says. He says there that, that there are people who are according to the flesh 
who are in the flesh and others who are in the Spirit. And, and what's the difference? The Spirit of God dwells in you. And what's true if the Spirit does not dwell in you? He says, you do not belong to Him. So, so that's a very important distinction that we have to understand. That this passage is not, you know, the, the, the consequences here are not just simply rewards. The consequence of not being in the Spirit is that you are dead in sin, you are lost and condemned. So this is a contrast between a Christian and an unchristian, so, or a non-believer. So, so before we dive into what Paul is saying here, I just want to emphasize that the New Testament describes a number of ministries that the Holy Spirit has in the world. And, and, and some of these things are things that every Christian enjoys from the moment of regeneration, and they never change. So for example, every true Christian is regenerated by the Spirit. We are all indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has baptized every genuine believer into the church and into Christ. And every true believer is sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of eternity. And the Bible never commands us to seek those ministries. You will never find a command, be baptized with the Spirit. Or anything like that. Because they are already true. There's nothing that we can do to lose them. They are ours forever, and they are not contingent on anything in us. And despite what some people might claim, these things are ours forever. You can't get any more of the Holy Spirit. You already have all the Spirit. And your body is His temple, and the whole Spirit dwells within every child of God. Now, it is true, all right, as those verses say up on the screen, that some believers are more full of the Spirit than others. Because some of us are more submitted to, uh, to Christ than, than others might be. And, and, and so that is true. And that's a big, important issue, but it's a big, important issue for another day. Now, rather, our text, Romans 8, continues Paul's emphasis from chapter 6 on how the new birth fundamentally reorients a person's life. So, so we talk in chapter 6 about the fact that every person on earth is either a slave of sin or a slave of righteousness. And, and that slavery reflects whether or not you belong to God or you still belong to the world. I mean, Romans has been building this contrast between the genuine believer and someone who is unsaved. And, and Romans 8 says that the difference between the slave of righteousness and the slave of sin is the Holy Spirit who indwells God's people. The Spirit makes all the difference. So, so as we walk through our passage today, I hope that you will give thanks that Jesus ascended to heaven and He left His Holy Spirit for those who are in Christ. It's a wonderful gift. You know, have you ever read the stories of the Old Testament? You look at some of the heroes of the faith, Abraham, Jacob, David, Samson, Solomon. These are godly people. Most of them wrote scripture. And yet they do some horrible things. They commit some terrible sins. And sometimes we're like, I mean, how in the world could they do that? It just seems unfathomable. You know what the difference between them and you is? is that the Holy Spirit indwells you in a way that He did not indwell them. 
We have a power and a grace through the Holy Spirit, which is a precious gift. And our text explains how it is that the Spirit makes such a difference. So so returning to verse 5, notice that on the one hand, sin deceives the lost. Paul says, those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Now, now again, when you compare that statement with other descriptions of life in the flesh, in verses 6 and 9, it's, it's clear that life in the flesh is life under the realm or the authority of sin. And, and so we've talked about this, that, that throughout Romans, a sin is not just things that we do. Sin is a power that rules over the life of the unbeliever. So, so to be according to the flesh is to live under sin's dominion or tyranny. It blinds the unbeliever to spiritual realities. It inspires rebellion against God's authority. And the fruit is a life of vanity that ends in eternal condemnation. So sin is a horrible master. And verse 5 notes that it drives the lost man to set his mind on the things of the flesh. Now, the verb that Paul uses here uh, doesn't just talk about our thoughts. It's not just talking about thinking about the things of the flesh. It's talking about the entire direction of a person's life. So it's not just that the unbeliever thinks about sinful priorities. It's that his values and his whole philosophy of life is wrapped up in pursuing them. And so the unbeliever is deceived. He's enslaved. And he wastes his life under the intoxicating influence of sin's power. Now, Satan loves to make life in rebellion against God look so attractive, doesn't he? And he wants you to believe that it's wonderful and good, but we have to remember just how broken it is to live apart from Christ. I mean, life outside Christ is life under a cruel, deceitful dictator who is craftily leading you off the edge of a cliff. And so he is not the master you want to follow. And so with that background of of the tyranny of sin, we should be especially thankful that the Spirit directs the saved. I'm not under the, the, the authority of the flesh anymore. I'm under the authority of the Spirit. So Paul says those who are according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Now again, to be according to the Spirit, just like according to sin, is to be under the authority or or the control of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, that doesn't mean that we always perfectly do everything that we ought to do, that we don't sin or disobey at times. Because we all sin, we all fall short, even uh, to the end of our lives. But it does mean that we are under a radically different authority and influence than when we were under the dominion of sin. The Holy Spirit has opened our eyes. So, so that we, have a, we can see and understand God and the gospel in a way that we couldn't before. And he has empowered the Christian to pursue him in a way that no unbeliever can. So folks, the Holy Spirit makes a radical difference. And because we are under this glorious good authority, what does he say? He says we set our minds on the things of the Spirit. And again, that's describing a whole new direction of life. The Spirit fundamentally transforms 
how I think, what I love, and where I'm going in life. And so the Christian loves God, and we want to worship Him and please Him. And so we love God's will, and we want to obey it. And most importantly, we can obey it through the strength of the Spirit of God. And that's really important because notice the connection between verses 4 and 5. So so verse 4, which we looked at last week, says says that God's purpose in, in sending Christ to die is so that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So so verse 4 says that Christ died, why? So that we would fulfill the requirements of the law. And and we've talked a lot in our series through Romans about how how it is that, that, that God, Christ's purpose is that we would obey Him, that we would become holy, and that all of that is essential to God's overall work of salvation. I mean, every Christian must become holy. Every Christian must be transformed into the image of Christ. And so it is essential to the work that God is doing. And so because of that, one of the major purposes of Romans chapter 8 is to help us know how I can be confident that I will persevere. Well, well, if, 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 God, if, if, if holiness is essential to God's overall work in my life, well, how do I know I'm going to make it? That's a really important question, isn't it? And so Romans 8 is there, and mostly, really, I mean, maybe the major purpose of the entire chapter is to help us know why we can be confident that God will sustain us and carry us to the end. And so God did all this. You know, God's purpose is that we would be changed And verse 5 tells us why we can know that will happen. Because the mind, according to the Spirit, will mind the things of the Spirit. So so the Spirit makes a radical difference. The Spirit enables me to make progress in holiness that I must make. He is moving me to glory. So give thanks that Jesus sent His Spirit and that He is transforming your life. That's a wonderful gift. And then from there, as Christians, we need to believe that holiness is in reach. You know, don't look at God's law. Don't look at God's will as just this overwhelming, unattainable demand that that there's no point in even trying to reach. No. If you have the Holy Spirit of God, you should believe that you can fulfill the requirements of the law. You can change. You can become holy. Because the Spirit is has caused you to mine the things of the Spirit. So Christian, you're not alone. You always have the Holy Spirit. You are a temple of the Spirit, and God says you are spiritual, whether you always feel like it or not. And so believe it and live it. So so the Spirit creates an entirely new disposition. I mine the things of the Spirit, whereas I once minded the things of the flesh. And then verses 6 through 8 add that the Holy Spirit also creates a different standing. Now notice in verse 6 the radical difference that the Spirit creates. So verse 6 says, The mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. 
Now, now verse 6 here is using the same word for mindset that we just saw in verse 5. And so Paul is still discussing two different life directions. A life directed towards the things of God and a life directed towards the things of this world. And these two authorities create two radically different standings. So first, the mindset on the flesh is what? It is death. Now, death in this context does not primarily mean physical death or even just eternal death in hell. No, rather, the point is that the unbeliever lives under the reign of death right now today, even while, he is a phys- even while he's physically alive. So I say that because of what Paul says back in chapter 5, verse 12. So chapter 5, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as through one man, speaking of Adam, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. And, and, and Paul goes on to make very clear in Romans 5 that, that, that death then is not just something that happens at the end. I mean, those who are outside of Christ are born spiritually dead and death hangs over the unbeliever's entire life. He is separated from God. He is dead in sin and he is headed towards destruction. And verses 7 and 8 are going to say a whole lot more about that. But, but we can all imagine that death is a terrible place to be. Now, yes, lots of unbelievers, they appear very successful. And they enjoy prosperity. And they are enjoying themselves much of the time. But God says that everyone outside of Christ is under the reign of death. And they are far away from God. And yet, life in the Spirit creates a radically different standing. What does he say? He says that those who mind the things of the Spirit, there is life and peace. Now, of course, life is the opposite of death. I think that's pretty simple to see. And as with death, we should understand life here not just simply as meaning that someday we'll be in heaven. No, the point is, is that I am alive today. So so it is a wonderful blessing to be alive in Christ We are right with God. I have spiritual power to do what's right, to see the the truth. And and as well, uh, I can serve Him and please Him. So so we are in the truest sense alive. That's a great gift. And and all of Romans 8 uh, describes this incredible new life, this new hope, this new confidence that we enjoy. But, But not only are we alive, Paul says... We have peace. Now, in this context, Paul is not primarily talking about world peace or even some sort of inner peace. No, rather, one of the key verses of Romans is Romans chapter 5, verse 1. All right? Romans 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, what do we have? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so peace with God is a right standing with Him. Now that is a very significant concept in the context of Romans. Because we've talked a lot about the hostility that stands between God and the sinner. So, so Romans 1.18, one of the key verses of the entire book says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. 
So God has wrath towards sinners. And the Bible also tells us here that the feeling is mutual. That sinners have wrath towards God. I mean, look at what he says in chapter 8, verse 7. He says, the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. So it's not just, you know, sometimes we think, man, I mean, how, how rude of God to have wrath towards sinners. Well, the reality is, is that sinners have wrath towards God as well. They do not want to submit to him. And so there is a mutual hostility. And therefore, it is incredible to think that the unbeliever is separated from the greatest good, which is God himself. There is wrath. There is hostility. But if you have been justified by faith, you have peace with God. God's wrath has been removed, and the Spirit has transformed my heart from hating God to loving God. And folks, there's no greater blessing that we can enjoy than peaceful fellowship with our good Creator. And we can boldly approach the throne of grace and receive mercy. We can enter God's presence as we've done today to worship Him and to glorify Him. Your body has become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the indwelling Spirit has provided a wonderful new standing that makes all the difference. So so the Spirit makes a massive difference. He is a great gift. And and then verses 7 and 8 drive home the, the great privilege we enjoy by expanding on that death that we once endured. Look again at what they say. It says, The mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, those verses are, are clearly describing the, the doctrine that we call depravity. And so sometimes we think, you know, that, that, that some people out there, they're, 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 you know, they're really searching after God. And they really want to do God's will. They just don't always get where they want to go. But God says that everyone outside of Christ, He says the mindset on the flesh the mind under the authority and the control of sin is hostile toward God. And so all of us were born in rebellion against Him. We want to do what we want to do, and we don't want to submit to God. And that's a problem. Because John Murray says of this verse, he says, the essence of sin is to be against God. The essence of sin is to be against God. And that's what Romans 8, verse 7 says, is true of every unbeliever. Now, some of them are trying to earn righteousness. Some of them are trying to, to make their own way to God. But they are not doing it in keeping with God's word. Now, now yes, no unbeliever is as bad as he could be. But, but none of them have obeyed the gospel. And they don't want to. They do not want to admit their sin. They don't want to rest fully in the finished work of Christ. Some of them want to earn their own righteousness and do their own thing. They are far from God. And so Paul says they do not subject themselves to the law of God because they are not even able to do so. We talk about that a lot in chapter 7. That the unbeliever, he might do some good things. And he might, in some sense, want to obey the law of God. 
but he will never meet the perfect standard that God demands to to earn a place in heaven. And as a result, verse 8 concludes that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. They can't please God. And so if you are clinging to the hope that maybe someday, somehow, I will be good enough that God will accept me. I will be good enough that I will earn His love, earn His favor, and a place in heaven. This verse should put all of those dreams to rest. God is very clear that as long as you are in the flesh, meaning that you are outside of Christ, meaning that you do not have divine help, you will never measure up. You cannot please God. No, no, you need divine power. You need divine grace. We all need to be born again but by letting go of all hope of getting to God myself and instead casting myself on the finished work of Christ on the cross. And so if you have never been saved and you receive Christ, the Holy Spirit will come to live inside you. And God will forgive you of all of your sins. And He will give you the power to change and to grow and to be what God has called you to be. And His presence is a precious, wonderful gift. And so if you've never been saved, maybe again, you spent your whole life trying to please God on your own. I hope that you'll come to us today, talk with us, maybe just there in your seat, admit, I will never be good enough. I have sinned against your will and receive Christ as your Savior as the only hope of change. And if you are saved, just take a moment to consider the radical change that the Spirit has made. Death, hostility, disobedience, and displeasure once dominated your life. You were far away from God and you had no power to draw near to Him in yourself. But the Spirit lives inside you now. And He has brought you into a standing of life and peace. It's an incredible difference. We are so blessed that the Holy Spirit lives inside our hearts. So, So the Spirit has created a new disposition. He has created new standing. And then finally, He is a very different authority. Look again at verse 9. It says, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now the main main point of this verse is to say that the Spirit creates a new realm, or you could also say authority or, or power for those who are in the Spirit. So so again, this is a contrast, not between godly Christians and ungodly ones, but between people who are saved and those who are lost. Because what separates the two groups of people is not spiritual maturity, but the fact that the Spirit of God dwells in some and He does not dwell in others. So if the Holy Spirit does not dwell in you, what does Paul say is true? You do not belong to God. You are not saved. There's no room in this passage for kind of a third category in the middle of a fleshly Christian who is saved, but really doesn't do anything to reflect that. No, that's because when you are born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you. 
And when He comes, He transforms your life from being in the flesh to being in the Spirit. From living under the reign and the authority and the control of sin to being under the reign and authority and control of the Holy Spirit of God. So so once I'm saved, the Holy Spirit, not my sin nature, is now the dominant power in my life. Now, does that mean that I always just feel on fire for Jesus? That I never struggle with sin? That I never give in to sin? Well, of course not. And 1 Peter 2.11, we've looked at this a couple of times, says that fleshly lusts still wage war against the soul, even of the Christian. And so I'm going to fight my sin nature till the day that I die, and sometimes I'm going to lose. But, but Christian, understand that the Holy Spirit very likely is making a bigger difference in your life than you sometimes recognize. I mean, He has transformed how you see God. And how you understand your relationship to God. He's transformed your priorities. You want to please God even if you don't always succeed. And He is forming godliness in you. And He's probably forming more godliness in your life than you sometimes recognize. He is making a drastic difference. And so Christian, I hope you recognize what a precious gift the Holy Spirit is. And then I want to challenge you to take full advantage of His ministry. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 commands Christians very simply, do not quench the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is at work in, in the heart of every Christian to convict us of sin, to teach us truth, and to build us up in Christ. And it is true that while the Holy Spirit never goes away, We can either cultivate tenderness to His work and respond to His truth, or we can quench it. We can squeeze it down. We can become calloused to what He is trying to do. And we can miss a lot of blessing. So Christian, be very careful that when the Holy Spirit is convicting you of sin, when the Holy Spirit is driving you to the truth of Scripture, that you don't quench that. But instead you cultivate in your heart a sensitivity to the work that He is wanting to do in your life. Because if we fail here, we will surely fail to heed a warning, another warning that He gives in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, which says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's a heavy verse to consider. It's a terrible tragedy to consider the fact that since my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, when I sin with my body, I grieve the Holy Spirit of God. I grieve Him because He is with me wherever I go and in whatever I do. He is always there. And so when I sin, when I live contrary to the will of God, I grieve the Holy Spirit who dwells in me. And I don't want to do that. I hope you don't either. And so we all need to cultivate a greater awareness of the Spirit's presence in our lives and the grace that He provides. You need to rely on the Holy Spirit. Pray to the Spirit. Rest in Him and and listen to Him as He works through His Word. The Holy Spirit has made a massive difference in every Christian. 
And we ought to pray, Lord, give me a heart to respond, to listen, and to enjoy the full benefit of his ministry in my life. And then finally, notice the warning that concludes this passage. And Paul says, he he ends verse 9 by saying, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. You know, it might be that you have always assumed you're a Christian. You prayed and asked Jesus in your heart at some point. You, you said a prayer. You, you've always said, I'm a Christian. But, but everything I've said today about the Spirit's ministry, about His conviction, about His transformation, about how He changes our affections and so forth, I mean, the reality is, is that all of that just sounds absolutely foreign to you. You don't experience that. You're not aware of that happening in your life. You don't desire godliness. You're not growing in godliness. And you call yourself a Christian. But but in the words of verse 5, the truth is you mind the things of the flesh. There's not a spiritual mind about you at all. And and there's no difference then between you and, and, practically speaking, between you and a lost person. Now, a big portion of Christianity is going to tell you, well, you're saved. But, but you need a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Or, or you need a crisis of dedication or some sort of second work of grace. Now, I don't know your heart. And I don't know what's going on there. I can't tell you what's in your heart. But I know that you don't need a second work of grace. You don't need a baptism of the Spirit or any such thing because God gives us His Spirit in its fullness the moment we are born again. So there is nothing more that you can do to get more Holy Spirit after you're saved. You have all of Him. So so if He's not there and your heart is cold to the things of God, there's a very good chance that you need to be born again. But regardless, I mean, if if you're looking at a passage like this and, and you have no ability to identify with what's going on, you need to take it very seriously. You need to take it very seriously. Because the Spirit will make a massive difference in the life of a Christian. Don't be content in coldness. Get counsel. Get answers. So that you can enjoy this wonderful ministry of the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for His work to change us, to transform us, to convict us, His work to make us like Christ. And Father, I pray for any who are here who do not know Jesus as Savior, we pray that today they'd be born again. And I pray for every believer in this room that this week we would not quench the ministry of the Spirit, but that we would be sensitive to His work, we would live in His power and glorify Your name. And so strengthen us this week and help us to worship You Help us to give thanks for the ministry of the Spirit. Help us to remember Him and lean on Him. And God, we look forward to how You'll work and encourage and strengthen us through His ministry. In Jesus' name, amen.